everyone, Gomer here, and I have to record an intro because we don't intro our guest until the last 15 minutes of an hour and 40 minute show. So his name is Derek Webb. Nice guy. Started out as a musician, singer, songwriter with Cademan's Call. They were huge, 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 sold millions of albums, toured all over the world. He left Cademan's Call in the early 2000s for his solo career, which he has been plugging away ever since. His most recently released album is called Fingers Crossed. We'll have a link to it in the show notes along with his website and other projects, even his podcast, The Airing of Grief. There's also a couple other things I want to mention. Tomorrow, I'm flying to Cincinnati. So when you hear this, I will be in a plane flying to Cincinnati. I'm going to meet up with Luke, and we're going to do a live show on Friday night. That might get posted. It may, it may not. Who knows? Probably be a Patreon thing. But we're really excited that we're able to be in the same city and record a live show. Also, we have two sponsors that we want to thank right off the back. Ryan Krieger from Krieger Consulting and Matt and his wife, Lisa, who helped design the Catholic Card Game. These are two great sponsors. We hope you can check them out. And if you want to sponsor something on the show, we do advertising. So head on over to catchingfoxes.fm, the home of our podcast. Send an email. Just connect with us, and we can make it happen for you. Can't stop, won't stop. Got to make that booty drop. Dude, well, thank you. Uh, Like, just for doing this i know it's like oh, yeah. gotta be weird when like two people are like hey you don't like know us but do you want to chat for about an hour <laughs> <laughs> no it's a pleasure i mean and i'm you know i'm i'm kind of like a professional talker so it's not really that weird like this is <laughs> like it's kind of what i do all the time so um you know i'd be like in a closet talking to myself if i wasn't talking to you guys i'd love to talk <laughs> so any opportunity it makes it makes it seem a lot more normal when there are people listening. So I, you're, you're doing me a bigger favor. <laughs> well, it's like really weird now with the yeah. advent of 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 podcasts because because like now people will like hear like they'll actually listen right and people like they actually like pay us and stuff right. And I'm, I, I feel like we're stealing somehow. I know, <laughs> I know just what you mean. Yeah. I mean, that's how I felt about music for the last 25 years. Like, so, so you're telling me that I'm going to do a thing I would do anyway, and <laughs> you're going to, you're going to, you're going to pay me for it. And then you're going to come and see me perform it. And you're going to applaud me. <laughs> like you're going to thank me for doing it. Like none of it makes any sense. It's a, it's an absurd profession. I mean, it just yeah. makes no sense. And I love it. I'm so grateful. But that's, take the that, money and run. Take the money while that's it's exactly good. Right. Get that. Get yourself some of that podcast of money. Oh yeah. <laughs> Ditch the music career. Who needs that? Yeah. It's no, podcast guys. Yeah, no. podcasts. That's what that's what com slash cf. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. you, you have a you have a podcast. You're uh, unfortunately, yeah. Unfortunately, yeah. Do I don't know. It's just I just it's like the one thing. I mean, so I live in Nashville and. I just feel like there were a, there was a handful of months or maybe most of last year where every time I would see a buddy who I hadn't seen in a while and I would ask him what he was up to or ask her what she was doing, it just felt like 100% of the time the answer was, well, I've got this new podcast that I'm starting. <laughs> and it just was like – it. I mean it, it became like next to making a Christmas album, which I have vowed for my entire career I would never make and I won't. <laughs> it was second to that I vowed I would never start a podcast. And I, and I actually had – people over the last few years approach me who run podcast networks and who um, sell advertising against aggregate content. And I get how all that works, but they were, so they're just looking for warm bodies, you know, on, mm-hmm. the, on the mic um, so that they can scrap together enough listeners to get some, some people to pay them. And, 
they were asking me, and I, so I had a handful of people reach out and ask me to start a podcast. And I was like, like about why, what will I talk about? Like what, about what? And they were like, well, it doesn't matter. We'll figure all that out. You know, it's like convincing somebody to write a book and the content of the book is the last consideration of, you know, it's just, it, but it makes yeah. perfect sense right now to write a book. And so I just was like, there's, there's a machine called content and it must be fed. Exactly. 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 Right. And so I kind of just vowed not to do it. Um, I mean, kind of the, the parenthetical part of the vow though was unless I have a good reason. I mean, that's kind of wh- why I do. I mean, every time I finish a record, I vow to never make another <laughs> un- unless I have a good reason. And, and that's why I usually fairly predictably make more because I wind up finding a- another good reason to make one. And if I don't have a good reason, then I'm not doing it. And that's kind of my mm-hmm. MO all the time creatively. It's- but- it's yeah. so funny that that's what writers say, right? Like someone writes a book and they're like, oh, that was the worst experience. I can't believe it. Like it was mm. so much, took so much out of me. I'll never write again. And then someone comes and like, hey, your last book was awesome. Uh, you want to write another one? They're like, yeah. Sure. Oh, well, yeah. <laughs> well, and, and I actually really love the process. I just always feel like I give everything I had to it and now I have no more and now I'm finished. And interesting. so it always just feels done. I always just feel done. But yeah. um, which is maybe why all my records are so distinct from one another they're all so mm-hmm. different but but with the podcast it really was a purely organic like i feel like i really came to it honestly i didn't mean to i didn't want to um and i remember for a few months i was in denial and i was explaining what i wanted to do to a few friends who i pulled in to help me produce and stuff and it's so funny because they were like so it's a podcast and, and i but i was using every possible unnecessary word to describe it without saying podcast I was like, well, and then and then what we'll do is we'll record it and then we'll like release it in episodes and he was like so it's a podcast i was like no no, no it's not a podcast <laughs> it, but, but it's but he's like but it's audio yeah it's audio and you're gonna it's episodic well yes and, and it's people, gonna be sponsored by stamps.com exactly and people can subscribe to it i was like well yes he's like so it's a podcast. I'm like, no, but it's not a podcast. But anyway, <laughs> um, listen, pal, it's the unpodcast. It's the un- that's exactly. This right. is the least podcasty <laughs> thing you can find. Exactly. I mean, sure, we might be sponsored by Casper Mattress and uh, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> by Squarespace. He's like, make great websites. Uh, but anyway, so but it felt like it needed doing, and and as it turns out, you know, I mean, I feel like podcasts. There's a reason why podcasting is having such a moment because it, to me, is taking the it's it's taking the place of and filling the gap left, really by long form journalism, which I feel like yeah. mm. the 24 hour news cycle and the blog culture. Yep. There's you know there, there's just such a huge need left for stor- long stories with deep context, and the, the one way you can really do that that's not television is episodic audio, which is what podcasts are. And I think that, that podcasts really are kind of, and when you listen to a podcast, you kind of expect you're going to, you're in for about an hour. You know, it's like, it's like, yeah. po- like most podcasts are not, you know, like, you know, sh- a short read. It's like, no, you're, it's a good, it's a good hour. It's like a good Netflix drama, you know, it's like a mm-hmm. uh, length. And uh, so it lends itself to a lot of really good things that are really important and that are yeah. are kind of drying up in other parts of culture right now. So I, I, I like it. I just, for me, I just feel self-conscious when people are like, so I've been listening to your podcast. I'm like, oh, those are words I never thought I wanted to hear. <laughs> uh, it's long form verbal essays. Come on. <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Mm. No. And like, that's kind of honestly like what I like about them. I think you're really hitting me the too. nail on the head there is that you really get into 
all of the nuances. Like that's one of the things that that's right just drives me crazy about the majority of so like all the stuff that I, that I uh, all of the spiritual stuff that um, I that like I like here tends to be Catholic, but mm-hmm. there's a, there's like a whole bunch of stuff, and this is what we I've kind of I've kind of complained about this in the past, and and uh, let's say that people got kind of pissed, but um, mm-hmm. that it ends what? up being just these like. 20 minutes like things that's basically junior high theology mm. just to make you like and i'm like that's, that's not right. like what like, a podcast is for like it should be because like we used to get a lot of complaints in the in the beginning that we went way that we went way too long and i was like the podcast that i hear can be up to three hours i don't know what you're yeah, talking yeah. about well but, and also so don't listen in that case <laughs> and there's that I mean, yeah. I, I don't, I just, it's amazing how people forget that they can unfollow, they can not listen, they can unfriend, they can, I mean, people just feel like they just, the one choice that they always escapes them is the fact that they're, they can absolutely go and find something that makes them happy instead. Mm-hmm. But they, but they, but they'd ra- rather than save that energy by doing that, they would rather expend additional energy sticking around and telling you why they don't like it and why they're not happy to be there. It's like, then don't be here. Like, I'm super cool with it. Like, I want you to be happy. Like, go find something you like. <laughs> go follow your bliss, unicorn. Yeah, go follow your bliss. Yeah. Yeah, true. no, my favorite my favorite email I ever sent, well, I guess two favorite emails was right along that, um, that I ever sent to listeners was one, one guy wrote, like, I love your podcast except for, and then had <laughs> this, and, and, like, literally chastised me and Luke. And we had one woman chastise us, and Luke wrote her like a twelve-page essay explaining ourselves. And I was like, "Luke, don't waste your time. I'll get I the know. next one." And the next one was like literally the next day, and I just said, "Sorry to lose you as a listener." And right. he was so pissed that I didn't change everything that we did. Oh, that's amazing. He, he wrote he wrote a follow up email saying, um, uh, "You know, we did this episode. One of our early episodes was called uh, Perpetual Adolescence, and we talked about." Mm how some people just can't grow up and That's move right. on and evolve. And, uh, and he's like, you, you should re-listen to your own perpetual adolescence episode. And I was like, I'm not the guy yelling at a total stranger <laughs> that he needs to change his show to be exactly like 20 other shows. Oh, you know? my gosh. And then the, the other one, that was like in the very beginning. We got mm-hmm. a lot of complaints about cussing and stuff. In sure, the beginning, sure, but we don't get those really that much anymore. But yeah, but we had one like two, two or three weeks ago, and they were like, "How dare you use you know your just get to the heart of the theology and skip this John Boy and Billy BS, which I <laughs> oh which gosh. to this day is my favorite thing." And right. I just said, "Listen, listen, here's a list of shows." Oh, he ended it with, "Now I'm I'm going to give you one more chance, so you tell me a list of shows <laughs> yeah. I need to listen to, meaning oh, episodes of ours." And I gosh. and I said. I was like, well, actually, I'm going to give you other shows you should be listening to exactly. because ours is not the show for you. Oh, that's incredible. His name's Matt Frad, and it's called Pints with Aquinas. Now leave us alone. <laughs> yeah. Well, and the thing you learn is that the internet is the ultimate starfish organization. Like, you, you th- there, there are endless, I mean, one gets chopped off and it just, it gr- another one grows back and it's just, it's endless. You can't, it's not a, it's senseless to try and have a conversation with the internet. It's yeah. like there are, cause there are just endless lines of people who want to chew up. There's one of you and there's infinite numbers of faceless people who just want to chew up all your time complaining. And you, it's just not a fight you can fight. It, it, you just can't, you can't do it. You really have to, 
you know, I mean, you, you, you figure out pretty quick kind of how to, how, how you're going to manage that. And, yeah. and some people really for a while try and do it and really try to answer everybody and try to just, and even follow every, you know, comment thread on every blog and really try and just really need to be understood by everybody and just really need, and you just, but you just can't do it. You can't mm-hmm. explain yourself to every person on the internet. It just, it cannot be done. You, you will, you will make a, a miserable full-time job out of it. Yeah. I got into a fight with a 17 year old kid on like, um, um, <laughs> on like Reddit about our podcast in the early days. And I was like, here's my number. Call me. I want to hash this out. And I was like, what the hell am I doing? <laughs> like, this is, this Someone is... just violated safe environment protocols. Yeah. Well, and, and also like, think about how much more time that kid's got than you. He has got <laughs> so much time on his hands. All he's got is time. You know, it's not fair. I abandoned my like wife and all my responsibilities to show you how fucking cool I am. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, dude. Yeah, oh, really anyways. sad. It's like uh, it's like I haven't really grown up since like '99. It's, it's like you know, like what I watched recently, and then I promise this is gonna be the last thing I say about this was the Jay and Son Bob Strikes Strikes Back mm. clip where they like go around, they like punch all the kids on the message boards. Yeah, talked talked all crap about them. I saw that. And I was like, oh, this was cathartic. A little it's more genius. than it should have been. It's genius. Yeah. <laughs> So, oh, yeah. Luke. Luke. Yep. I discover new things about you every time we do an episode. A whole lot of sadness. When you're done punching kids from message boards in the face, head on over to KriegerConsulting.com slash CF. That's right. This is an ad read. KriegerConsulting.com slash CF. Do you ever have an idea for like an app or a website and it's driving you insane? Like you wish it existed. I don't know about you guys, but I have this thing uh, doing small group ministry, home-based small group ministry, and I, I bought a bunch of domains. I've never done that before, but I just went on. I bought domains before, but I bought like a bunch of domains, and then it just sits there. I don't know what to do with it. Here's the deal. If you have one of those like good ideas, but it takes a lot of work, and maybe you can't do it yourself, and you just let it stay on that back shelf in your brain, you know what they call that? They actually call that brain cracking, because you treat this thing in your brain like crack that you run to and you get a little high from it, like this warm, fuzzy feeling, oh, I can't wait to do that or build that, or wouldn't that be cool if? Well, stop doing that. It's time to get it out of your brain and into the real world. Head over to KriegerConsulting.com slash CF and submit it to them. Get the conversation going. I meet people all the time who have great ideas and you don't know where to go with them. Ryan Krieger and his team of developers can help to make it happen. So skip the brain cracking and start creating something today you probably can't do this on your own you need help and ryan gets it pope francis launched one of his apps for crying out loud so don't just consume create let krieger consulting help make that happen head over to kriegerconsulting.com slash cf use that cf because it lets ryan know you came from us and it supports him and us so win 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 that's kriegerconsulting.com slash cf i want to thank ryan and his team of website and app developers for supporting catching foxes now Back to punching. Is like your podcast, is it, um, I mean, did you kind of have to, to like deal with like, is this like going to be a quote unquote Christian thing? Do I bring God into this? Cause it's like a huge part of like what you've done, obviously. And there's always that expectation. I feel like that, like if you're, if you're in this like world, if you talk about these things that everything you do has to be about that. Yeah. I've never, ever, felt or operated under those kinds of guidelines. Um, not mm-hmm. in my art, not really anything. I, I don't, I don't 
work with any creative presumption of any kind, and, mm-hmm. and, and which I think is mostly an overcorrection and a response, a reaction to um, what I feel like I've mostly observed over the last, you know, 20, almost five years of kind of being around the Christian music world. And there, there mm-hmm. are, there is such content presumption and it, and it, it just, it primarily just makes for, t- it tends to make for really bad and very constrained art, but also, um, and I have less of a dog in this fight than I ever have right now, but it, it also tends to, um, uh, be the art that comes from those types of constraints tends to be a terrible advertisement for Christianity yeah, because, absolutely. because most Christian art is only the unspoken rule is that, you know, you can only make art about transcendent moments of worship and the afterlife. That's kind of the only mm-hmm. two subjects, bit of subject matter that you can really get into, or at least if you want to be on the radio. And so, um, and, and the rule of thumb that I used to tell people if, if asked about the making of what, what I'm using air quotes to call Christian art, which I feel like is a, is a fiction. It's that's not a real thing. That's a, mm-hmm. that's a, a marketing term in front of a noun. Um, but it's not, or it's not, it represents nothing in terms of anything being right, true, good, beautiful, inherently more so than anything else. It's, mm-hmm. it's you know, Christians are just as likely to lie to you as anybody else is. Um, but, um, that anything in, in terms of making again, quote, Christian art, the rule of thumb should be anything. And and again, I'm going to, I'm going to put a lot of qualifier. I'm going to sound like I'm reading out of the amplified Bible for a second here. Um, because, um, because (laughs) you're finding, because because you're finding me in a, in a more complicated moment in terms of the way I see spirituality right now. But, Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, the, um, anything that you believe Jesus is Lord of, you should be making art about. And so either he's Lord of all things, or he's only Lord of a few things. And those are the only things you can, you can write about or, or paint about or whatever. And yet so much of what is categorized as again, quote, Christian art is really only about a couple of things. And, and so I just think it's a bad advertisement. I just think it doesn't oh, advertise yeah. Christianity well. So Um, so, but with the podcast, what's interesting is it, it kind of told us what it wanted to be before we started. We didn't realize, I mean, because, you know, essentially it, it, the, the lit, the the fuse was lit on the podcast. So the podcast is called the airing of grief and it's kind of wherever you go listening for podcasts. And it's essentially, um, it came from my new record, which is called fingers crossed. It came out late last year. And it's excellent. Thank you. And so, and the record is, it's a heavy record. Um, and it, the way I've described it when, when, when I need to describe it briefly is to say that it's an album, it's kind of a tale of two divorces, kind of a vertical and horizontal divorce, which kind of for me in my life happened almost simultaneously over the last, let's say five years or so. And so, um, the podcast kind of came out of the response to the record, which, so when the record came out, I noticed pretty quickly that people's responses to the record were not about the record. It, the record mostly kind of sparked people to want to talk about their own stories with Christianity, with the church, with religion, um, uh, with kind of what, what some people call deconstruction or deconversion. Like people wanted to tell their stories or, or even, or even mm-hmm. near 
spiritual death experiences, let's say, you know, so to speak, and but people who fought through it and who still believed or whatever their story was, but people, no one seemed to be reacting or few people seem to be reacting to my record so much as it just stirred feelings for them that clearly they wanted to talk about and express, but didn't have easy places or obvious places to do that. And so those stories started to come to me and uh, by way of social media, by way of random emails and direct messages and Facebook direct messages and whatever it all is. And so I was talking to some friends about it. And just saying, because I'm the kind of guy who picks up on things like that. Like I pay attention and, and I'm always kind of following coordinates. Um, and so when I notice all these stories and I know that for myself, it felt that way. And as I was going through it, you know, one of the reasons I made the record is because I was, my creative MO tends to be what I need and can't find I make. And which is the reason I've made a lot of things. It's the reason I, you know, it's the reason I've started businesses and companies, um, you know, um, it's the reason I've made a lot of my, my records, um, about what I've made them about and things like that. And, you know, I made fingers crossed one of the, the handful of reasons is because as I was going through this really painful season and I was looking for music for soundtrack to accompany me and comfort me, I just could barely find anything. There's just, there was no music. Mm. No one had really taken the time to document and be a witness to that transition or those, uh, those kind of hard times. And, so I decided that I, you know, when, when people inevitably in the future found themselves in similar situations, I wanted there to be at least one more record out there to comfort them, for them to find and for it to mm-hmm. provide soundtrack for them for what they were going through. And, um, cause it helps, it helps people to not feel alone. It helps people to not feel so isolated when that, when you can hear someone articulate something that you feel that you've been uh, unable to articulate, it makes you, it restores your sanity. It makes you it makes you feel less isolated and alone. And that's a really important thing, especially in a season like that. So that was kind of what my friends and I talked about, you know, is to say there seemed to be a lot of people who, who seem very alone, uh, that they feel like they are alone in what they're going through, but they're really not because I'm, Mm -hmm. their stories are all coming to me. Like, you know, like a cloud of witnesses, like there's so many and but they don't all know it. And, and what could we do? And, um, and also how can we provide, a place for people to be able to talk about it and to tell their stories. And so the first thought that we had was to, or or the solution that I came up with was let's make, let's create two ways. Let's let people, if they want to write it down and take their time and craft it, let's let them write letters. That's easy. I'll just, and I, so I just went and got myself a PO box and, and, um, and then the other thing I thought though, was let's create a way for, for me to actually hear, hear people's stories and, and create an opportunity for them to, talk to me about it if they want to. And so I decided I was going to spend a few hours, a few days a week, basically having Skype conversations, like phone calls with people, 10 minute, 10 minute phone calls. And I set it up and people where people could come and basically book 10 minutes to talk to me. And, um, and the spaces when they were gone, they were gone, but I would put up more every week. And so I started doing it. And the only prerequisite was that you allow me to record it but if for any reason you don't want anyone to hear it, no one will. It'll just be for us. But I would all, but we would always bleep your name out of it. So it, they would always be anonymous. But if, but the, because the idea is for every person who will call, who's willing to spend ten minutes talking to me about their story, there will be fifty people I'm sure who would never do that. Yeah. But those other fifty people might find themselves and their stories and their feelings summed up in one of those phone calls. So I thought it was important mm-hmm. that we not, you know, that 
not only people get to air their grief, but that we air it. We air the grief. Like we get on the air with it because people need to hear it in order to, to feel um, understood and that they're not alone and, and maybe to help spring them along. And so, um, and we weren't even sure what we would do that at first, but so I started doing these calls and they were just immediately incredible. The, what the stories I was hearing and, um, people telling me things they'd never told anybody before and very, very heavy, extremely heavy stuff. I mean, pastors of churches who were six months in to not believing in God anymore and not knowing how to, stop doing what they were doing and not knowing how to break it to anybody and not, I mean like, and I was the only person that they'd ever told. And I mean, it was, and it it was just some incredible, unbelievable stories. And then also stories of incredible pain that people had gone through, but they had fought through and the church had shown up for them and, and they were still there. And, um, and so it was much more nuanced and granular than I thought it was going to be. It wasn't like, Oh, here's people who've deconstructed and here's people who haven't. It was like every kind of story with every kind of ending you've ever heard. And, and so I pulled a few friends in to help and what we decided to do and what the podcast is, is basically just these unedited 10 minute phone calls, um, where people call in to tell their stories. And what we did was we just curated it kind of by topic. And so every episode is on a handful of specific topics and we find the letters and the calls that are on those topics and we put them together. So we usually feature about two calls and maybe one letter and it shakes out to about 30 or 40 minutes because the calls are unedited. And uh, and we just let people tell their stories and it's just me on the phone with them hearing their stories and talking to them about it and sharing some of mine. And, um, and the, you know, and I've done, uh, over a hundred of these calls. Um, and, uh, we're, we've stopped for season one. We're going to start up pretty soon taking calls for season two. Um, we've got one more episode in season one and then we're going to, uh, take about a month off and start the next, but, it's really just been tremendous. I mean, and it's been more meaningful to me than anybody because it's, and it's really helped me and, and made me feel very comforted and very understood. And, and we have a lot of people who have said the same and it's, it's, it's been very unexpected and, and that's how we kind of backed into it. But to your question about whether or not we intentionally put religion or God or any of that into it, it's like it, it knew what it wanted to be. And, and we just followed the coordinates and the breadcrumbs and this is, and so that's kind of what it is, you know? That makes sense. That is really cool. I don't know if you've ever heard of the band Gasoline Heart. Ooh, I don't know if I have. They're really fucking good. Like, yeah. really, really good. So it's the guy from The Kick, and who was like this punk band back in the 90s, early 2000s, and the bass player from, from Squad 5 and mm. And he came out with this album in 2006, mm. and it's basically about his marriage just, like, crumbling. And mm-hmm. I remember, like, hearing that, and I was going through this own part, in my life where I was just like, just having a really hard time. And I was, I mean, I was like 22. So like everything was hard. And, um, and then we're just, it was a girl. Yeah. A girl. <laughs> <laughs> I was 22. So like, you know, like every girl was the end of the world. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, and the start of a new one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, seriously. Yeah, exactly. I, I spoke a lot of stuff in there. Um, it, uh, <laughs> and it was just so great. Cause it just like heard this guy being like, I don't know if I believe any of this, but I'm trying and I'm kind of bitter. Yeah. But I'm trying. And and for me, it was I was like, there is no album like this right now. And I was trying to tell like all my friends about going, this is the greatest band you all need to be listening. And I don't know why you're not. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and I feel like right now that album would have been way bigger than what it was. Mm-hmm. Just because it's I, I think there's been this change in the past like five. I mean, really, it's been a long time coming where I think people are just kind of going, is this real? Like, am I the only one, mm-hmm. you know, like, right. Like, like this is real. Like, or is it not? I, I really don't know. And I think 
were able to ask those questions right because for like a lot of different reasons but we just i think one of the main ones being that we don't like have the pressure from the from the culture that there like even was 10 years ago right to like you've got to be like this it's got you know and i think it's um and there are like some ways where i'm like well that's a little bit much but there are like other ways where i'm like well we have to be doing this because if not like we like what are we doing Right. Like, what's the, the, like, this is way too hard to try just like, oh, well, I think so. I know. I totally agree. And the thing that's, the thing that I've tried to be really conscious of is I know that, you know, like everybody, I mean, so everybody is a narcissist. I mean, everybody is the star of their own movie. Mm -hmm. You know, everybody sees, I mean, you can't help but see reality from your perspective primarily, obviously. Um, And unless you're just the most hyper empathetic person on the planet. Um, but you're welcome. And exactly. Um, <laughs> and so everybody, I, or, I mean, I keep saying everybody, but I'll just own all this. I mean, I always feel like whatever I'm going through apparently is just the cultural movement right now. It's like what everyone's going through. And that's mm-hmm. usually not true. I mean, you know, it's usually, Oh, I it's, it'd be like if I just discovered, you know, public transportation. Oh my God. Do you know about this new thing, public transportation? Have you guys seen this? It's incredible. They just came out with it. Well, actually, no, that's been a thing for like 50 years. But, um, but if I just discovered something, I think that it's brand new, but I have, you know, as I've been going through this, this examination and deconstruction and reckoning with the, the pulling up by the root of the things that I've believed for almost 30 years to examine it and see if it's alive. And if it is replant and hope that it stays alive. And if it's not realize that it's not alive, but the risk of killing something to really get to the bottom of it, uh, risk killing it. As I've gone through that process with spirituality, um, you know, I, I've felt like just intuiting the conversations I'm having with friends about it and, and, um, what I feel like I'm kind of squinting my eyes at on the internet and kind of seeing Mm -hmm. how it seemed to me, it felt like it was a thing that was really happening. Like, wow, it, is it just me? And so at first I was like, nah, it's, it's gotta just be me. It's just cause I'm going through it. Doesn't mean everybody's going through it. But, mm-hmm. um, okay. So I found two friends who are also going through it. That means I think everybody's doing it, but it, <laughs> but it, but it turns out it really does right now. feel like there is a, uh, for the, for the reasons you mentioned and, and many more, it feels like it is a, there's a movement of people feel having a different feeling about, um, about saying it out loud and really examining it publicly in a way. I think that people have always gone through this, obviously, mm-hmm. but, um, but, uh, it, it, for a lot of reasons, it feels like there is a movement of people who are getting comfortable with the language of doubt and deconstruction to a different level than I feel like I have really seen over the last, you know, since the internet, like, and, you know, and, yeah. and it really is. And, and, and so I'm, really glad to be able to contribute something to that because i think the stakes are so high in the conversation so yeah yeah. i think it's i think it's interesting one of the you know i have a background in philosophy and one of the people that i really love is a guy named charles taylor and he wrote this book called um or i call him chuck taylor uh wrote a book called (laughs) um (laughs) called boo earns (laughs) thank you Luke. called uh a secular age and he's Mm -hmm. a hegelian philosopher so he is steeped in history and sociology to try to understand things philosophically. So it's a very, I guess, to slap a Christian label on, it's a very incarnational approach, even though Hegel himself mm. went, went in some totally different directions. But um, he talks about this movement toward one of the characteristic um, 
one of the characteristics, I'll just say that because <laughs> I can't yeah. think of the other word, of our age, our particularly secular age is authenticity, right? Yes. And uh, yeah, sure. this, you know, and it gets manifested in funny ways with hipsters. You know, we had an episode called our authentically honest episode about pornography. And it was us talking and being vulnerable about pornography. But sure. at the beginning, Luke was talking about like this hipster ice cream he was eating. And it was so funny because I was like, oh, we got to be so authentic. But, you know, there is this element of, like, you know, um, artisanal and handcrafted and oh, exposed you know, brick. The, yeah, exposed, you know, all that stuff. But but here's the interesting thing. You, the shift to authenticity up until, you know, my parents are older. They're in their 70s. So um, the, the notion of, for them, politeness or what we would call decency overruled authenticity. That's right. And you had the weird uncle who chose differently the maybe he was a hippie or a you know a rock and roller or a biker or something mm -hmm. and he chose to live by his own rules and not society's rules mm -hmm. but now we have an entire generation myself included who values authenticity and honesty what we would call honesty or self-honesty or self-truth whatever over um over politeness over right it's, it's, it's like it's like they we've overturned if you if you don't have anything nice to say don't say anything at all um we've kind of overturned it like the opposite yeah. seems mm -hmm. to be true now yeah and and but i think the church is super late to that getting that memo because for so long authenticity meant revealing my sin right so it's like well you know for us today the scourge of pornography and there's so many pastors who are porn addicted that they'll admit it on a study, an anonymous study that, you know, something like 70% of Protestant pastors are, have a frequent exposure to pornography. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't know if they use the word addicted or something, but, and you hear that, but they, they aren't admitting that to their congregations. They aren't admitting that to their spouses. And so there is the, because you have this notion of being set up on a pedestal and, you're the one supposed to bear witness that you're not allowed to have a certain level of brokenness mm -hmm. and you're not allowed to share that level of brokenness. So you have a pastor, you know, a pastor of a church who questions whether or not God is real, but he doesn't know who to talk to. So he'll go on leading Absolutely. services without well, being able to feel yeah. like you can communicate it. No, absolutely. And the, and I feel like the, like the thoughts I have about it is that like for what the dangers in in the trend, let's say, of authenticity in the ways that you're framing it are a couple. One is that it's like anything else. It's a language you can learn to speak like any other. And you can, in other words, you can sell authenticity like you can sell anything else. Oh, yeah. And so that's one thing. And, and that leads to the fact that its particular danger is that what it just really does um, is it drives – the real truth just further underground because that means you bring people a little further into the house, but there's still a whole basement they don't know about. Yeah. And so it, it, it makes you, it, it can tend to, it could run the risk of just making someone better and, and more crafty at hiding the things they wish to um, in order to sell the authenticity. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and, um, yeah, and and the and, but the problem with with the, the practice of it in the way that you described it with pastors or whatever else who would be willing to admit something anonymously, but as you said, kind of not publicly, is that I feel like it's symptomatic of something else. I feel like that's due to the fact that the 
not just the Western church, but really the church, man. I mean, but the church in general, like it, it suffers from this. It's almost like the cycle of capitalism. The church's version is that what happens is when someone, when someone is successful at something and it works and they manage to get people to listen to them or follow them or they, they, and what I'm saying is it's a good thing. It's like a spark of something good and organic and natural that happens. But then what happens is they get, lifted the tide starts to rise beneath them and they 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 get put on a platform and then that platform begins to rise and the higher you rise on that platform the higher the risk and the more people whose livelihoods are wrapped up in that platform staying tall and steady the, the what happens is you you and, and and I just know this because of the time I've spent in Christian music over the many years is what happens is you accidentally you back your way into the platform building business and in the platform building business, the only it's like being a politician, the politician's mm-hmm. job description is not to make the world a better place. A politician's job is to get reelected. Yep. That's what politicians do. It is the gathering and the keeping of power. That's, and there's, and I'm in no more than capitalism is, is there anything necessarily wrong with that? It's just a fact. It's just the way that that system works. And if you expect something else from it, of course you'll be disappointed. Um, and you have to be, and, and you, ha- you can't be naive to the way that that works. You have to always assume this politician, for instance, in front of me is speaking my language and wanting me to, and he's, he's, he's speaking to my, my felt needs and he's trying to persuade me and he's talking to me through all the grid through which I look at the world because he's identified me really well with marketing research. But ultimately what he does not want is to help me. What he wants is to gather and keep power. He's in the reelection business. And in the same way, pastors and leaders, and this is not unique to the church. It, it happens everywhere. It happens with celebrity, any kind of celebrities or anything else. But um, the church has become like it's it, it really has adopted so much about celebrity culture. And so has all of Christian entertainment culture has as well. Of course it has. And but um, so what happens is you get in the platform building business and you and, and your job becomes keeping the platform tall and steady. And so it seems like because your justification is um, and you got the, the platform was put beneath your feet for good and natural and organic reasons. I, I don't think people, I mean, sometimes people create them for themselves and it's bad from day one, but oftentimes the way it starts is really organic and it's good. But then what happens is as it begins to grow and institutionalize beneath you, then you, you get less and less likely. You, you essentially wind up with a beautiful, tall platform that you will never ascend because the risk of getting knocked off of it or it getting knocked apart just gets too great. And you justify to yourself, but, but the higher the platform goes, the more influence that I'm going to have and the more good that I can do. But the problem, and that's true, but the higher it gets, the less likely there's an inverse proportion to how unlikely it is that you will ever actually ascend it and say anything that could get you knocked off of it or it destroyed. Mm-hmm. Um, the only way really to do that is to self-sabotage and keep your platform very low to the ground. Um, you know, and that's why I have been much more comfortable making records for a a very small group. Like I'm so much happier in my solo career than I ever was in my old band. My old band sold millions of records. You know, I, I, I barely sell thousands of records and I'm so much happier because my platform's really low to the ground and it makes me braver. Like it makes me feel as though I'm at liberty to say things that I just could not say. Um, and just like you're talking, describing those pastors, like, there are just things you can't do, but if you keep yourself low to the ground, 
then it forces the authenticity to stay. It, it, it's like um, authenticity often doesn't scale um, yeah. very well. Very Would you well. say you're, you're, you're less beholden to people and interests and – Or at least their expectations or yeah. – and you are also less beholden to your own – let's just be honest about it – your own um, uh, uh, financial – like yeah. your your livelihood doesn't depend because yeah. like when your livelihood depends on that you you being on that platform right. and the livelihood yeah. of all these people who now work for you because you have to get all this these people to come help you because you're you're doing so well at it and you're so good at it and so your the platform gets higher it's like it's it's just risky business getting in the platform building business is risky yeah and I, and, I knew yeah. A, uh, a Catholic speaker who shared with me that you know this is back during the days of Bush that he had come around and now opposes the Iraq war, like thinks it's an unjust war. We shouldn't have gone in there. Bush lied us into war, all the things. And he said, and you know, a couple times in my talks, I'll reference it. He said, but I have my biggest donor and you know, sit me down and just basically say, you know, I have two sons over there fighting. Uh, I am a longtime Bush supporter uh, and I'm your number one donor. If you say one more thing about the Iraq war being unjust, I'm, Mm-hmm. not i'm not going to support you anymore and i thought he was telling me this to be like you know to be on your guard blah 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 and he goes so i stopped talking about it i have a family to feed and i remember mm-hmm. losing so much respect in that moment for this guy and just being like wait no you're this is the hero part this is where I you know. say but then i told that guy well you can take this job and shove it because i ain't working for you no more and instead it was well okay i'll stop talking and i was like oh no and that's every problem. That's the majority of problems that I've seen in churches is due to the fact that they, b- because they, for instance, you know, decide that they're going to have a, you know, that they, they make may, maybe not the greatest or most sound financial choices. And they mortgage a huge new piece of land because again, it's the platform building business because the bigger the mm-hmm. building we have and the more, the, the greater playground and the better youth ministry program we have and it's we're going to be able to do so much more and we're going to be able to imagine what we could do with the with a bigger platform yeah and so they wind up getting in financially too far and wind up basically having to depend on the the, their congregate the congregation that they are supposed to be agitating incessantly um with basically paying it all off and they become kind of the stakeholders and 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 so if the ones who are donating the most or who are the ones who are in the greatest position to help bail you out financially start to not like what you're saying, that's how like a couple of really loudmouth, powerful families wind up running a church and yeah. running a pastor out of town. And it's like the the people who are the who are the least qualified folks to be leading. It's like the it's like the the crazies start running the asylum, mm-hmm. which really un- ironically is actually not the worst metaphor for the way the church really should run. I mean, it, it, it should be like, uh, you know, an AA meeting. I mean, it should be, there should be a guy in front who says, I'm, hi, I'm so-and-so and I'm an addict and, and just like all the rest of you and come with me and let's all go and, you know, get, uh, treated and get help and let's all go do it, you know, and let's, um, but that's not often, you know, it's more like a Amway convention, you know, it's like, we've got mm-hmm. a great product to sell you and come and buy it. But, um, but anyways, you know, it's like, but you've seen that happen so many times. I've seen so many like infighting in churches and splits and denominations, mostly because there's a group of warring lay people who 
are allowed to behave in ways that are completely inappropriate because they are basically paying off the church's mortgage <laughs> and yeah. you can't, you can't, uh, it puts a, it puts a pastor in an impossible position and it's really unfortunate. It's, you know, anyway. Do you know what all those hyper-aggressive lay leaders in churches that take over the churches need to do? They need to take a step back. They need to go on Kickstarter. They need to type in the word Catholic. And then they need to fund the Catholic card game, a party game for Catholics. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. Our sponsor today, the Catholic card game, good old Matt and his wife, Lisa. They are awesome. This is their second Kickstarter project. Guess what? Good news. Because of fine people like you. It is backed. They have enough pledges that they hit their $22,000 goal, 513 backers, but we have six days to go. Here's the mission, Syrophoenician women out there. Your mission is to fund this to $29,000. Why? Because then we get a Catching Foxes expansion pack. So what is the Catholic card game? It is unabashedly a Catholic version of Cards Against Humanity, which someone told me yesterday is a wildly inappropriate adult version of apples to apples, which I didn't realize at the time. Matt, the guy that made the ultimate Catholic comic book, helped produce it. Uh, He is doing this spin with thoroughly Catholic content. It's a fun party game, and it's great. $29,000 is what they need to get to the goal. That's pretty freaking sweet because we're going to take this PG deck to NC-17. Or at least R. I think we should take it to at least R. So head on over to Kickstarter. And I love this. I asked him, how should we sell this? And he said, just tell them to go to kickstarter.com, the great crowdfunding website. Go to kickstarter.com and then just type in the word Catholic. And the Catholic card game is probably going to be the very first thing at the top. And that's what I did. And I'm staring at it right now. We'll have a link to it in the show notes just to help you. I want to thank Matt and Lisa from the Catholic card game for their support of Catching Foxes. Thank you guys so much. How would you uh, – no, Luke, you talk. I realize I have said <laughs> – Damn straight. Um, no, I was just going to add a thing because I – that like what – like everything that you guys just like talked about really like kind of like it's all like Pope Francis is like really I'm talking about. And I don't mean to get like too long with Catholic or anything. Well, I do. But um, like when he like calls people – when he calls priests to smell like the sheep and saying we need to get out like maintenance mode and in – submission mode i think he's like that's what he's actually talking about yeah. it's just being with like people being like broken with all of them and being low to the ground as opposed to which saying on your high up like platform where you like lose touch with like reality and yeah. then it becomes more about you and it and, like isn't about it isn't about christ which like also means that then like christ healing power can't can't take place which is like why i think we have less things like you know like in AA group and it's mm-hmm. and it's like more about let's just hear about like why we're right and everyone else is wrong <laughs> mm-hmm. and gathering around for a two minutes hate yeah the yeah. uh the i don't know i just feel like there is so much like there's a, like a cottage industry of christians and post-evangelicals and frustrated catholics who attack the church for not being what they want it to be or what they think it should be or favoring the groups or the issues or the causes that they wanted to do, uh, you know, and, you know, the church should be doing this more. You know, th- this is a refrain that we hear in the Catholic church because we are a very hierarchical church. 
And mm-hmm. it's not just, you know, a pastor started a church plant and built up a, you know, it's like that priest was assigned by a bishop who doesn't know you. And he, he had a pool of priests and he said, well, you're going to you know, up north on 45 and you're going to be out there and, mm-hmm. um, you know, you're going to be in the Woodlands, Texas, and that's where you're going to go. And, <laughs> you know, it's a, that's where I'm from. And yeah, so uh, I, know well. I, I read that you were from Klein and I was like, oh, I went to high school. Yeah, I was a bear cat. We should play some football. Play some football, bro. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> but I don't play football. Um, but the uh, yeah, no, I hear there, what you're saying though. There is this uh, this yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I feel like it's very easy to criticize the institutional side, but at the same time, Christianity is often even when we're being critical, we're only favoring our parts of it. It's like. Like when people were on the historical quest for the or the quest for the historical Jesus, right? We're gonna go through the New Testament and find what Jesus really said, and not just the later Christian community. And and they go through it, and wouldn't you know it? After 150 years, every every historical Jesus looked like the author who was writing their statements. Like Jesus yeah, is more that. like a political revolutionary, and well, that's because you are, and that's what you see, and that's to me, that's why like we need a hierarchical church to kind of like. You know, the Catholic Church is the slowest church on the face of the earth. But it's like, you know, all these trends, they're going to disappear and these fads and stuff. But it's so easy to get locked, especially as lay people, into these, into our sacred cows and mm. and reinterpret everything along those lines that when the church, in our mind, doesn't do anything about it, it's very easy to get disenchanted and to complain on, on all sides. Like, not just the rich pastor, but, you know, the people taking swipes right. at the pastor for not... Giving Absolutely. a good enough sermon. I and, tell you right, yeah, sure. You know, he, he really brought the word. Oh, he didn't bring the word. You know, like <laughs> we have we have all these hilarious <laughs> ways of criticizing people who are just trying to talk about God. Right. Nah, I think you're right. How's it been with uh like as you're going through this deconstruction, like how's it been when you sing your old songs? Have they taken on like a new meaning? Do they still kind of like hit you? Right. No, it's, it's a great question. Way, yeah. Um well, my rule of thumb with it has been, um, you know, because the, the majority of the songs, I mean, I have 13 songs on the new record and I have like a thousand other songs. And <laughs> so the majority of the songs that I would sing typically at a, you know, at a show are going to be ones that were not written in the last five years. Um, and so I, I did have to come, it was really tricky for me. The first few, the first handful of shows that I played um, before the record came out, but on the other side of what to me was for me was a major kind of shift. Um, mm-hmm. and at least a long journey of really, um, looking at and examining and, and looking for what rang true about my spirituality. And so it made the songs really complicated. And for a while I really did, I had a little bit of a crisis, like, what am I going to do? How am I going to sing these songs? What am I going to do mm-hmm. for the next hour and a half? And, what I eventually came around to, I, so now I give this disclaimer pretty much every night and that I play, and, and it really helps. It helps everybody, I think, but it mostly helps me. And I, what I say is that um, over the course of the next hour and a half um, – no, no, let me start here – that being a professional autobiographer is risky business. And because what happens is if you're doing it well and if you're being honest along the way – you are you run the very real, the very probable risk of writing songs that you eventually completely disagree with. 
That is that is just what's going to happen because who mm-hmm. is exactly the same person they were five, ten, twenty years ago? Nobody. Totally. Yeah. My dad. And, yeah, <laughs> except for all of our dads. Yeah. Um, but uh, Michael, I've been smoking now one hundred menthols fifty years ago. And I'm smoking now one hundred menthols. But dad, you have cancer. Shut up. Uh, exactly. Exactly. Well, and you know, going down a man of principle. But uh, <laughs> and, and and so for me, it's like. Um, you know, so over the next hour and a half, there will be more than a handful of songs that I will sing that I for sure don't agree with. But let me tell you why I will sing them anyway. And that is because while I may not be or relate to the man or boy, in many cases, who wrote some of these songs, I do trust him. I trust that when he looked at the world and tried to describe it for us, which is an artist's job, look at the world and tell us what you see. And when he was trying to do that with the information that he had standing where he stood, I think he did the best job that he could. And, I, and therefore, I will cover his material. But, but make no mistake that that's what I'm doing. Um, and actually, make no mistake that's what everyone's doing. Like, I doubt that when Brian Adams plays a concert that he still fully embodies and feels the raw emotion of Summer of 69. I mean, he's not mm-hmm. in high school anymore. Um, but does he think that's a good song? And does he think he, you know, believed it when he wrote it? Of course. And so he'll play it. Um, but he's covering his own material too. And so, um, you know, and, and because at the end of the night, if I've done my job, you'll be thoroughly confused and you will essentially <laughs> think to yourself, but how could you sing that song? And then this song and then that song, like that's a total contradiction. You're a hypocrite. And I will say to that, you will be 100% correct. That's exactly what's going to happen. It will be a contradiction. I will for sure. And, and am a hypocrite. And the only thing I can tell you is these are all parts of who I am. They're all parts of my journey that they're all going to give you a sense in aggregate. If you squint your eyes at all of it, by the end of the night, you're going to have a real sense of who I am and what I care about and where I come from and what I'm made of. Um, and it's all context for the story. And what I'm not going to do is tell you which songs are which I'm not going to tell you which ones I agree with. Um, but, um, and what it does, I think for me is it just gets me off the hook. And so for the rest of the night, I can just play whatever I want to play. And, and so if people, somebody yells out a song, because they, I really do feel that way. They are all um, uh, songs that, I mean, I do trust the person who wrote these songs. And, and they're all songs that are part of who I really am still today. Even if I don't believe some of those things, they're still part of who I am. They're still part of the journey by which I got here. And so they're important to me. And ultimately, I'm in a service business. I'm in, I mean, I mean, ultimately, I'm... You know, some people bristle at the term, but I'm an inter- I'm an entertainer, and so it's like yeah. if you really love and connect deeply with and are right where that song is, and that's really hitting you right now and providing specific soundtrack for a season of your life that you're in, I'm so deeply moved by that and honored to be part of the soundtrack of your story. It's I, I mean, it's it's there's nothing cooler than that when 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 somebody feels that deeply about a song and wants to hear it. Why would I need to make some bullshit point about? where I am in relation to that song. It's such a, why would I, why would I ruin somebody's night and ruin their own experience with that song by making some stupid point about how I don't agree with that anymore? I mean, if they love it, if it's speaking to them, if it's providing language for them that they need, why would I not just be so grateful and perform it? (laughs) It's like, it does not have to be that complicated, (laughs) you know? So that's how I feel about it. And it's been interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Me and uh, Luke, we had a, we talked about in the past, uh, Billy Corrigan from Smashing Bumpkins. Sure. When he was on uh, Joe Rogan's show, he had talked about what it's like because his artist, his career as a musician has drastically changed over the oh, years. Oh, it's been now, incredible to watch, right? Yeah, now he's doing like WWE stuff. That's but, incredible. Uh, <laughs> it's so funny. <laughs> but uh, 
he talks about, you know, he'll bring his acoustic guitar. He does small shows um, similar to like your house shows yeah. and he'll play and everyone will get pissed off because he doesn't want to play, you know, the, the greatest hits basically. Mm-hmm. And he'll say to them, listen, like, screw you. I'm an artist. I can't just play the same thing all the time. Like mm-hmm. for you, this was, I'm here for the smashing pumpkins. You know, I want you to play um, Siamese Dream, or I want you to play, um, mm-hmm. you know, Scream, Scream Bullet with Butterfly Wings and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. But he says, like, I, I just can't. Like, I can't do that all the time. So that was his original thing, and he would get booed, and he would get chased out of his own shows, yeah. you know, in a coffee shop or something. So what he realized was, okay, I have to I have to put myself in the perspective of the fan and realize this meant, like, to them, hearing the song today or tonight, tonight is not about my song it's about you know the girl that they were making out with in the back of the car when that Dude, song came it, on that's right it's and, about and the, they were in high school yeah and, it's about the emotional furniture that they populate that song with mm-hmm. it's about them so it's like stop making like i think artists are so bad about that like making everything about themselves because when you think about that it's like everything was about how it made him feel and it wasn't at all about how it was making them feel mm-hmm. and and it's like if you once you because once i make something and it's out in the world it doesn't really in a sense belong to me anymore. I don't even have the, the authoritative interpretation of its meaning really. Um, art is the one place where someone could have a very strong opinion about what that means. And it could be as legitimate as my intention having written it. It just, that could be like, it's, that's, it's possible. And, and it's, um, you know, I think it takes, and you know, and maybe you know, it depends on the artist, and it, and it, and it's and that and that could be his choice, and it just, and it really could. It could just be his choice to say this is how I want to do it, and he's an artist, and he can do that if he wants to. The way that I have, my instinct in navigating that sort of thing has tended to be more um, having gone through, and he's obviously you know been in it for a lot longer than I for longer than I have, and 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 had a lot higher highs and maybe lower lows, but you know, for me. I've been through a lot of success in my career and I've been through some failure in my career. And then I've been through some success on the other side of failure in my career and, and, and so on and so forth. And you go through that cycle enough times and you just get, there's a gratefulness that you only feel after you've been through that cycle Mm -hmm. a certain amount of times. And I'm at the point now where I'm telling you, I mean, every night I walk in to play a house show, which are my favorite it's almost exclusive what I do now because it's just, there's no experience that even comes close to it for me. And it's just my preferred way to perform music. But every time I walk in to do one of these things, I literally spend my entire night looking, cataloging the faces of all these people and just feeling deep gratitude for what I get to do. And the fact that these people all showed up, like basically there's a sense in which I could imagine little dialogue bubbles above all these people's heads and one or two or five songs being above each one. And they're all there for different reasons. They're all there for their, 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 you know, they, they have almost nothing in common. They just all connected at some point with something I said, because it said something they needed to say maybe. And, but that's more about them. And so the connection is stronger on their side. It's like their relationship with that piece of work is, meaningful it's meaningful to them and it's why they're there they don't have any connection with me we don't even know each other and so you have to all of us have to really respect the primary connection that draws us into the room which is the relationship that those listeners have with those songs 
and I, it kind of has nothing to do with me. So for me to come in and make it about me, I think would be in, would, would be in bad taste. And I think it would communicate the wrong things because I'm so deeply grateful for every single person who connects with the, with the stuff. And I, yeah. I really feel like you have made peace with the conflict between artist and entertainer, mm-hmm. right? Like, like, you know, Steve Jobs famously said, you know, real artists ship. And there are some people who consumed by their artwork uh, and perfectionism and all this stuff. They, they can't seem to lower themselves. Like they, they're yeah. afraid of turning their art form into making a buck. Right. But to me, I think you've done something interesting, which is, okay, number one, this is an act of service uh, yes. in both the <laughs> – in a capitalist sense of I am rendering a service to them, but also – in a very moral or interpersonal sense of like, I'm, I'm serving them. Like That's right. my song meant something to them in their life. And by playing mm-hmm. that old song, you know, uh, do, do you play Cademan's Call songs? Sure. Like, if people want. Okay. Yeah. Most yeah. people don't. I mean, most of my current people don't even, they don't even know I was ever in a band. I mean, you know, I mean, there, there are definitely those fans around, but if anybody, if people, enough people call them out, you better believe I would. Yeah. The balance you struck, I think came first with, once you went smaller, independent, you got to write what you wanted to write. Mm-hmm. So you are able to have that authentic artistic voice. But when you're with the people, you deliver what the people want. And over time, the people will want your – like I was listening to um, uh, The Braver One. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was listening to that over and over again while I was playing Minecraft because that's how I calm myself down from working <laughs> for the church all day. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but that song – like, that would be the song I would request. Mm-hmm. The, and it, it's almost like, okay, I'm here to entertain, but I have this whole uh, apparatus that I've built around me, the house show format where you do it for 50 people, the, um, yeah. the, the small label where you're not beholden to a thousand expectations. Like, yeah. I find that very fascinating because you're able to be true to yourself as an artist and also serve the quote unquote customer yeah. or, you know, fan. Well, no, I really appreciate you. I mean, I, I, I really appreciate that. I mean, and, but the, the thing, the way I feel about it, it is, it's like, it's all mixed up for me and in a good way, I think, because, um, you know, th- what I want to be clear about is that when I am, you, you, you tap, you really hit on it right there too, talking about the distinction between when I'm making it and when I'm performing it, because when I'm in the stage of creation, I don't care what anybody th- thinks. And I don't, and, and that is not a moment where I, um, yield to any preference that I can perceive anywhere of anything anyone wants me to do, or I don't back away from anything I think no one wants me to do. I, I do whatever I must do. I do whatever is instinctive and I follow creative coordinates. And that's, that is a very introspective process. And that's the part where I do whatever I want and no one gets a, no one gets a voice. No one gets a vote. It's an absolute, um, you know, uh, dictatorship. And, um, but then once I, See, that's the, that's the least time that I really spend with my own work is when I'm doing that. Most of, most of the time, because then I put it out into the world and now there are a lot more people interacting with it, with it than just me. And so when I go into execution phase and I'm out actually pl- performing the songs, um, I've kind of had my moment where I got to be selfish and that's when I was actually making the stuff. And that's where I'm providing you with the choices. And you, it's almost like when I tell my children, you can eat this vegetable, that vegetable, or that vegetable, you will, it's a constrained choice, but you have a choice. So it's like, 
you, you know, the, the presumption walking into one of my shows is you're going to pretty much want to choose from one of the songs I have written over the last 25 years. But that aside, you can request any, any one that you want, whichever one moves you and touches you and you want and, and you like and want to hear it. That's cool with me. But, um, you know, when, and so when I'm, when I'm in the creative stage, I'm not thinking about anyone, but when I'm, uh, anyone, I'm thinking of no one but myself, but when I'm in the execution phase, I'm actually thinking of everyone but myself because I'm like, I don't really matter in this scenario. This is about me being a conduit for the people who have deeply connected with this material. I'm here to present the material to them. I'm here to, to, uh, perform it for them, but it really kind of has nothing to do with me. Like me as a, as a human man, <laughs> you know, like, mm-hmm. it, you know, I mean, it's, I'm just here to, to perform, you know, and, um, uh, and I'm here for, and, I, and you're there for them, but I've also, um, not shied away from the, at all from the business side. If anything, I like the business side, the creative problem solving the business side as much or more than I like um, the artistic creative side. I really do. And so for instance, once I determined that house shows were my preferred kind of way of performing, and I really thought that hit the bullseye in terms of deeply connecting with people and accessibility and immediacy and intimacy, all the things I really liked and felt like we were all mutually responding to. Well, then I figured out how to make those the most lucrative ways that I play shows. I mean, well, it's not just that they're so great and so fun. That's it, also, I make more money playing house shows than playing in bars or clubs because I figured out a way to make it make me the most money because I knew it was the best way to do it. And, and I also, you know, have figured out how to record my own records and, 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 you know, produce my own records because I wanted to be able to, um, because I knew that my knowing how to do all that and owning my own studio was the way by which I was going to make the most honest, and vulnerable, um, and accessible records to the people who needed them. Um, so it's like, I have tried to do both at once. Like, so the, my economic models and instincts follow my creative ones. But at the end of the day, like, you know, I decided, well, if house shows are the way to go, because that's where people really seem to deeply connect. And that's, you know, a house show is basically one big, it's like, you know, some bigger artists have like, the normal show. Then they have like the VIP experience that you can pay more for. And you come backstage, you get like a little mm-hmm. exclusive yeah. meet and greet and some acoustic songs. Well, see how shows is basically only the VIP event of that scenario. It's like everybody in the whole place gets to spend a few minutes. We get to spend real time together and everybody there. I don't use a PA. It's very intimate. And, and well, that's it's, cool. it's like, it's a, you know, and, and so the point being, once I figured out that that was the best and coolest and most affecting way to do it, I just figured out how to make that make the most sense financially for me so that I could always do it that way. Mm-hmm. And so I've always loved the challenge of applying creativity to the business side too, in order to make the most out of the things that you find the most effective. Do, you know what I mean? Uh, but, yeah. but I think there is something that a lot of young artists, especially, especially here in this town in Nashville, tend to find very unromantic about thinking of it as a real job, a blue collar job. Um, and yeah. they just want to kind of show up and have it be magic. And they don't even know where all these people came from. And they just, you know, and it's like, that's, I mean, I can see how that's cool, but you know, what's even cooler is still doing this job in 10 years or 20. That's cool. Mm-hmm. I'm afraid. Yeah. And so you really want to figure out why it's working, how it works. Um, you know, I, I developed a whole online course to teach and to teach musicians how to make a living playing music called, it's called middle-class musician. And it's like, 
it's a it's 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 literally <laughs> six awesome. it's six hours of video classes of me teaching everything I know from how to play house shows to how to make records and write and tour and everything and because I want to be part of that solution too. I mean, what, what did I say? My creative MO is what I need and can't find I make. And, you know, so I'm like, well, it took me 25 years to get here. If I can distill it down into six hours and help propel someone to where it cuts that time in half for them, well, it's what I would have needed. And so I want to try to provide it. And, uh, so yeah, that, that side of this work makes is very, means a lot to me, like help, you know, mentoring younger artists and, helping put people in, in positions to be able to make the creative decisions they need to make and not be constrained by making the ones that will turn a buck faster. Cause that does not make typically for very good art. Um, so I want the power in the hands of the, of the musicians, of the, of the artist, you know, ultimately. And, uh, so yeah, it's a thing I care a lot about. That's awesome. Is that, is that how you see a way forward for the music industry? Like, I mean, with the rise of the internet, I mean, you distributed oh, an man. album yeah. solely on your website, and I feel like no one knows what the hell's going on. Like, how mm-hmm. do we, how, how do musicians make a living off of a, a one one millionth of a cent per listen on Spotify? Sure. And, sure. you know, like, to me, I'm like, I'm terrified for people who want to create something good. Now there's no gatekeepers. You can make it, you can play it on YouTube, record yourself. Mm-hmm awesome you have access to everyone but have a patreon so everyone, page and you're good yeah but so does everyone else and mm-hmm. if everyone's doing it then you're gonna get drowned out and you know discovery and all this stuff yeah i think so i think i think it's it's really the 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 business as it is today compared to what it was you know 20 years ago it honestly just kind of feels like a net break even um yeah it's you, you know and there, there are a lot of things it's completely different business and there are a lot of things that are better and a lot of things that are worse and um but if I started into the answer to that question, it would be a separate hour. Um, so I just, <laughs> but, but what I will say, but, and, but I, there are answers and I, I mean, my head is swimming with them. I even asked it to hear you as I hear you frame the question, but the, the, I think that the main thing, the, the, the main shift that I think is of great benefit to young artists today is there are fans for everyone and music has never been more important um, or more ubiquitous like than it is right now. There's never been more people listening to music and music's never played a more important role in people's lives or in culture than it does right now. But that coincides with a, a really odd additional fact, which is that no other time in history have people paid, have fewer people paid and have people in general paid less for music. And so it's this really strange set of circumstances that you have to learn how to navigate. And but you absolutely can because what I'll what I'll my parting shot is that there has never been a better time to be a blue collar musician, a middle class musician than it is right now. There's never been a better time. But um, but where the problem used to be, your problem used to be scarcity because there were just so few records coming out because, as you right. said, the, gate, the gatekeepers, you know, had a chokehold on, on the market. Now, you, you know, your problem is uh anonymity is you know saturation that's right it's like just being being discovered at all because everybody's out there but there are ways to do it and and my summing up the guts of my online course in one phrase i'll just say your best path forward and it's going to be the intuitive thing but the 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 two things i would say the, the two rules you can't break are rule number one is be great and this has always been rule number one and no changes in the business have affected this rule. 
Rule number one is be great. Uh, if you're not great, it's not going to matter how good you are at rules number two through 10. It just doesn't matter. Um, and, but be great has an asterisk after it. And it, it can mean a lot of things. It means be, it means work really hard. It means be resonant, it, be resonant to an audience, provide, you know, like, um, it means, uh, be great at vulnerability. Like in other words, be identifiable, let your perspective and your voice, so to speak, be identifiable so that people who are looking for that perspective and voice can find you and identify you by your, by the art you're making, but be great and aim small, aim as small as possible. Hmm. Start with, I mean, I would just encourage anybody who might be listening, who are young artists and who are trying to figure this out. The most encouraging thing that you'll read this week and and something I read literally twice a year, I reread it constantly. And I've got a whole hour of my course, literally just at like an algorithm breaking this essay down. Um, read there's a there's a, a blog that's been around for probably about a decade by Kevin Kelly. He's one of the founders of Wired Magazine. He's a fascinating guy. He wrote a blog called One Thousand True Fans, and and I read it several times a year, and I teach on it, and it basically provides an algorithm by which he basically says all you need to make a robust middle class living which he calls, which he, and he says a hundred grand is a great middle-class living. And the only thing you need to accomplish that is 1000 true fans, a thousand. We need 1000 people. And he explains what a true fan is. And, and he kind of, and then on my course, I really break down that algorithm to say, you might not even need that many because it all depends on how much of your time do you want to spend playing music and how much of your income do you want to offset and how much money do you need? And where do you want to start and how do you want to scale? But the point is you need a lot fewer true fans, like hardcore, you know, uh, you you need fewer of them than you'd think, um, supporting you deeply, supporting you, you know, and, and, um, and everybody should go read that because it is really encouraging because you realize I don't need a half a million people to know about me and to, give me their money. And I don't need all those people because your hardcore, your true fans are not the people who are giving you a fraction of a penny on Spotify because your, yeah. your, your true fans won't have that. They want the hundred dollar vinyl CD documentary t-shirt bundle. Mm-hmm. You know, they're the ones who, who are coming and paying 20 bucks for a ticket to see a house show. They're the ones and you only need a thousand and you might not even need a thousand of those people. But if you have, if you have a thousand people, who are a tribe of true fans start with that. And every great artist who have had great careers, if you watch closely, do really well at making sure that that super fan, that true fan segment um, is vibrant and alive and feels loved and cared about and seen and listened to. I mean, Taylor Swift is a masterclass on, uh, on super fans. And um, just the way that if you, if you just look at what she's done as her career has grown, she has been so intentional about a tiny group. I mean, because, and I, and I sort of got, I'm going to stop uh, talking about it after I say the following, <laughs> but, but the, the, the thing that discourages people, but should encourage people really is that of your entire audience, 80% of your audience or the audience that you wish you had, let's say, um, that you aspire to have 80% of them will never pay you or they'll pay you so little like that fraction of a penny you're talking about on Spotify or anonymously like through iTunes through Spotify through you know Google or Amazon you know it's i mean th- those platforms own customer data they're not going to give you any of that they're just going to give you an anonymous fraction of a penny 80% of your fans 
are never going to pay you. Most people focus on that and say, well, then it's hopeless. Why would I even do it? Because all their energy is trying to get that 80% and trying to reach that 80%. What I would mm-hmm. say is there's about a 20% segment though, a 15 to 20% segment of your audience, your super fan, your tip of the spear, you know, your true fans who, if you're doing it right, and if you're listening to them and you're engaging them and you're, you're, you're engaging them with, with a meet, with a, a good and meaningful mix of experiences and products. Um, and you're coming to them on their terms. Um, they can subsidize more than hundred percent of your career, literally 20% of those people, which is that whole thousand true fans can literally, and then the 80% segment, you just continue to be visible to those people as a lead generator for your 20%. And really your whole career is just your super fans. That's your whole career. And that's all you have really need to think about or care about. Um, and back to my first point, and there are fans for everybody. And on some scale, you absolutely can make a living at it. There's never been a better time. So, I mean, it is hard out there and it's confusing, but once you understand how it works, you'd be surprised that it really is a thing you can do. I mean, it's real work that you can do. It's a real job. Um, and some the people who that bums out need to go into some other line of work. I mean, because, you know, most people who get into music, they get into it to be either rich or famous or both. There are literally, if on the list of jobs that you could do to become rich and or famous, playing music for a living is literally not in the top hundred. I mean, I don't know why Mm -hmm. people think this. I mean, if you're getting into music to be either rich and or famous, you just need, I can tell you 50 better and easier ways to be both of those things. Um, that's <laughs> Become not, an accountant. Yeah. Or, 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 you know, I mean, do something stupid and put it on YouTube. I mean, there's just a million ways mm-hmm. to become rich or famous, but now you're being, speaking my language, but, but being an artist isn't really not among them. So if that is your expectation, you probably need to look for another line of work. If you actually want to express yourself for a living, make a living, providing language for people's emotional lives, you actually really can actually. Um, but it's blue collar work. It's hard. So you have to love it. You better love it or you better just do something else. You know? So that's my advice to most people. Nice. I like it. That's amazing. Yeah. I said it was another hour. It actually wound up being about 15 minutes. (laughs) Sorry about that. No, no, no. That's I'm like, and I'm just going to assume this can all apply to podcasting. So, well, and I, um, you know, and I really think it can, I I do. I think, I do too. I think, you know, having a smaller audience that deeply supports you is a better way to grow and scale and develop your craft than, than trying to figure out what do the masses want? What will they pay for? And how do I monetize their incredibly limited and, um, you know, their, their, their Mm -hmm. super short attention span. How do I, you know, no, you're not going to, you're not going to succeed, uh, uh, trying to accomplish that. And uh, so I think super fans is the future. I think super fans is the future of, of every business, actually any business, but especially the entertainment business. Yeah. Um, well, let me ask you, let me, let me kind of break this down for you. I, you can tell me if you want to go, cause you, you have generously given us yeah. an hour of your time. <laughs> sure. I, I am so excited what, what you're talking about. So we have, we have a lot of fans who literally used to tell us, will you please start Patreon so yes. we can give you money? <laughs> That's and, what I'm talking about. Yeah, and it was it was amazing for us because me and Lou and we I had another fan, uh, Nikki. Nikki, when I went to go do a, a job at her husband's church, she's like, "Gomer, I have something I need to tell you and Luke." And I was like, "Yeah." She said, "Would you shut up about how surprised you are that people like you?" And I'm like, <laughs> "What do you mean?" She's like, 
You've been saying it for 120 shows. Damn Get straight. over it. We like your show. Yeah. Get over it. You know, and and she's yeah. and they were our Jason and Nikki Carter were our first patrons. $10 patrons. Absolutely. And it's so crazy, but the, here's here's my here's my kind of thing I'm throwing out at you. I me and Luke both work full-time jobs. Luke is a free spirit who works for the man. Uh <laughs> I I work at a parish that is huge and just it can very easily own all my time. Right. Um, and I travel and give talks on the side. So what we give to the podcast is like our precious few cycles that's left at the, in the week, but our Patreon fans, we give like the, the exhaustion coming off of those last few cycles. Like, right, you know, sure. I, I, how, how should we better invest in them? I, I mean, we do stuff like we have we have a additional show content, some behind the scenes stuff. But I feel like it's more leftovers than like serving them. And I don't mm-hmm. ever want it to be that yeah. way. But well, here's what I'll say. Now that's a great question, and I and it's and even the fact that you're aware of it and asking it means you're on the right track. And and to to me, like I'm sure if you're on um, Patreon because she's the queen of any platform she's on, I'm, I, I'd be surprised if you hadn't heard of Amanda Palmer. And Amanda Palmer. Oh, yeah. You know, she's she, so she's she was initially famous for I um, and I don't know if anyone's broken her record, but she was initially famous for being the highest raise on the highest music like uh, musician um, uh, uh, raise on Kickstarter. She raised over a million something dollars. Really? Um, okay. Some, some years ago, and she got super famous for that. Mm-hmm. She's done a, a incredibly moving TED Talk. Um, it, it's a huge Ted talk. It's one of the ones that it's, you know, if, if people tell you about a dozen Ted talks, Amanda Palmer's tends to come up and, um, she wrote a book also, um, called, I forget what it's called, but it's incredible. I've read it a, a couple times and she's a real hero in, in the DIY world, music world. And, um, and she's on Patreon and has a pretty incredible, I mean, you, it, as soon as you see her, Patreon page, you're, you're going to, you're going to know why, you know, why it's, why I'm bringing her up, but her whole thing in the way that she talks about engaging fans is people work really hard and fight to try to get people to give them their money. And that's, that means you're dealing with the wrong segment, segment of your audience. That means you're investing your energy in the wrong place. If you're doing it right, it should really just be a matter of giving people opportunities to give it to you, not trying to get it but giving them opportunities to give it um, because they want to, because super fans, if you're dealing with the right, that 20, again, that 20% segment we were talking about, when you're dealing with those people, they will not only gladly give you money for what you're doing because they want, they love and want to support because they deeply resonate with what you're doing and want to support you. They'll give you more than you even ask for. And it's, you know, super fans are irrational for the artists and things that they are a super fan of. I certainly am. Um, so all the conventional rules break when it comes to the way someone behaves about a person or a thing that they're a super fan of. And um, so in my – to try to answer your question, what I would do if I was you is and, – and she says this too. And this is kind of a lot – this is kind of the conventional wisdom when it comes to stuff like this. And even, and even pre-vetting and pre-qualifying you know, entrepreneurial kind of business ideas, this is, this is you know, uh, uh, the advice that you'll typically get when you have an idea – you're trying to figure out like, you know, what, to, what it, what it should include and how much should it cost. In my opinion, go to your patrons and ask them that question. Ask mm-hmm. them 
what would make you guys happier? What can we do for you? What, what, what would you just love? What would just delight you like for us to do? Because we're so grateful for your support. And rather than us wasting our time or our money, our investment, like developing and doing and trying a bunch of stuff that who knows if you'll even really appreciate or like, or be that into just tell us and we're asking and let's collaborate on what those things are. And then let us do that for you as a thanks for your supporting us. And so it's like Amanda Palmer, like she very famously a couple times, like she, she's always trying new stuff, new platforms, new little pieces of technology and new like tools on the internet. And she found this thing where there was this cool website where you could basically do print printed shirts on demand. And so she decided to try it out. And she went to her audience. Literally this all happened within a few hours on Twitter. She got on Twitter and she said, Hey, you guys, I found this really cool platform. You can, I can make any shirt I want print on demand. Um, you, so I don't have to buy them up front. I don't have to, there's no inventory. You buy them, they make it and they ship it to you. And so that means we can just choose. And so you guys tell me what you want on a shirt and I'll make it if you, and then you guys tell them, and I want you guys to like to basically say that you'll buy it. And I want to see how many of you there are. And if there's enough of you, then let's do it. And so they all said, this is what we would want. And they kind of, you know, she kind of said, here's what most of you are saying. Is that cool? And now how many of you would do it? And, the, and all the tons of people all said, I'd buy one, I'd buy one, I'd buy one. She said, okay, great. And she, within a few minutes, she had it set up and she tweeted the link and she said, okay, all of you said you'd do it. Here it is. And how much would you want to pay? And they said, we want to pay this. And she, they put it up and she made like 50 grand in an afternoon just because she asked and she listened and she, and what they said they wanted, she gave them and they said they'd buy it. And she said, okay, here, buy it. And they did. And I mean, it's just not complicated. And, um, especially with the tools, that's why I was saying it's, there's never been a better time to, to, to be attempting this sort of thing because the mm-hmm. tools allow us to do so many interesting things and immediate things and to experiment at a very low cost. And it's the most exciting thing about being in this business right now to me. So, so I, what I would do is I would go to your patrons and say, we want to do more. We want to do better and more and cooler things for you guys, more meaningful things. Tell us what those things are. Let's have a discussion, a dialogue, and a collaboration about it. And I think, you, and I think you'll know everything you need to know. Mm. Oh, that's I like amazing. That. Thank you so much. This is like the most – because I've, I've honestly been kind of like bummed out a little bit just um, past year because oh, like downloads took, a, took kind of a hit after the new year. I don't know why. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, like well, they skyrocketed absurdly yeah. right before that, uh-huh, to like yeah. triple, triple or quadruple the amount. Wow. Literally, the episode was titled, and I still can't believe this. And there's a guy at church that walked up to me and goes, "Yep, I just listened to this episode. The episode was 1,000 tangents and old people sex, where Luke <laughs> literally simulated the sound of an old man <laughs> trying to have sex, and I that did. was a part of the show. <laughs> and amazing. it got it got a week's worth of downloads in less than 24 hours. Yeah. Incredible. And then, and then, like tri- tripled. I think it tripled our our highest amount ever. And then the next one did the same thing. And then it it was Christmas and it plummeted. But yeah, and but I was like, well, that's <laughs> that's the end of us. <laughs> well, that was something special that we had there. But maybe maybe that's just us getting our whistle too wet by the by the masses. Well, yeah. and 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 just you know. Um, uh, starting to experience and feel and get comfortable with the rhythms of the, how that up and down works. And I mean, it could all, it could all, you know, there's just no predicting it. I mean, this, you know, I mean, I can tell you after 25 years as a professional musician, it's just, it's, it's never, it's always feast or famine. 
Yeah. There is no balance. There's no mm -hmm. predictability. There's no, mm -hmm. the, and part of being good at this job is being comfortable with that reality. And that truth <laughs> is yeah. like, That's it's always going to feel because man, I mean, I've done this for a long time and I still feel all the time like, Oh, maybe I'm done. And maybe no one cares now. And maybe mm -hmm. like, this is one of those jobs that there's, it, it's for all the things that you get and all the great things about it the thing that's better about a day job is you pretty much can assume that if you show up at the same time tomorrow, there's going to be a job waiting for you. It, this job, it could all be gone in a minute. Like, you know, the, the day after my last show that I have on the calendars that's booked right now, the day after that show, I could for sure not have a job like yeah. ever again. So you really have to love it. You have to fight for it and you have to kind of be okay with, it's like guys who are good at pl you know, playing in the world series of poker. It's like, you have to be okay with losing 80 grand in chips in one hand and then coming, be able to come back from that. Like you just have to That's be okay point. with, you know, it's like, it takes a certain mm -hmm. uh, temperament and it takes like a certain practice of like, okay, it's no big deal. Like we're, and we're not going to analyze why it happened and we're not going to obsess over how to correct it. We're just going to keep doing what we know is good and what we know, um, you know, because what got us that insane peak was not our obsessing over market data. It was doing what we do and trying to do it as well as we can. And it was really unexpected and look what happened. And if we start focusing on trying to recreate it and obsess over what we're doing wrong and why is it not keep still happening, then what will it, the one thing we will for sure do is sabotage it. And we will for sure destroy any possibility of it happening again. Whereas if we just go back to whatever we were doing before and try to just literally pay as little attention to the successes as to the failures, just focus on doing the work and doing good work that's the best shot you have at it happening again, <laughs> you, you mm -hmm. know? Um, so, you know, and, and, and so I think that's great. I mean, I think that's great. And I think you're in a great moment and a great position to basically say, what can we learn and how can we, in the meantime, find more meaningful ways to more deeply connect with and satisfy and delight the people who support us the most, which is, yeah. which is why you asked the question. And I think the way you do it is by, it's the opposite of classic rock star behavior of, you know, kind of being, um, you know, kind of the mystique of kind of disappearing and people not really knowing you and not, you know, and like, mm -hmm. it, it's like, nah, it's kind of the opposite. Like you need to literally go straight to them and say, hi, we're so-and-so. And we just wanted to, we didn't want, you don't want this to be mysterious. We don't want to be aloof. We, we actually want to know you. We want to know what is it about this? Why did you, why are you supporting us? What is it about this? That's so meaningful to you. And how can we emphasize and amplify that? And how can we do an even better job for you specifically as our 20% segment? Like, what can we do to really make this even more deeply meaningful for you? And let's just talk about it rather than us, you know, feeling like we need to be Steve Jobs and like, oh, we know what you want before you even know what it is. We're going <laughs> to blow your mind and it's going to be this mm -hmm. crazy reveal. No, man, screw that. Like, go and actually talk to people. Um, you know, I don't know. Make... I think I think some Catching Fox's leggings might be the answer. <laughs> and you know what? You can and, – and I would for sure try that. Why don't you also try that? Why don't you, in, in addition to whatever else we're talking about, there's no reason that those should not exist. So also do that. Dude, uh, th we are so over. So I don't want to have to keep you. This has been, thank you so much. Like this oh, is like, it's been a pleasure. We've been all over the map and I hope that's okay. But I've loved no, talking to you guys. That, that's honestly, a typical episode. Yeah. yeah. That's good. No, like, honestly, <laughs> all over I've just time. been like, just like a bad rut all week about like, holy crap, I don't want this podcast to end. Just because like, I'm, because it's, it's been my first thing that's kind of like worked out yeah, in, in terms of like things that. Mean. I have created so like this is such like 
a godsend. So thank you. I was not yeah. expecting that at all. Oh, well, I mean, I'm pulling for you guys. And I think and clearly what you're doing is really meaningful and really important to a lot of people. And um, so let, let, you know, as my therapist would always tell me when I would come in with a similar, um, you know, feeling, he would always say, okay, your feelings are valid because you're feeling them. So let's deal with that. Let's make sure you, you know, let's, let's get you calmed down. But mm-hmm. once we do that, what we're going to do is we're going to look at the data. What does the data say? Yes, this is how you feel, but what does the data say? And the data says you guys have a, an audience of people who really love and support you guys. And, you know, there's a reason that we're here talking and, you know, like you have to look at the data. Ultimately, the data has to be the thing that guides, you know, the choices you make and, the, and if yeah. possible, the feelings that you have. But you can't help but feel what you feel. You can't help it. But um, once you've dignified that, let's all look at the data. And I think the data says you guys are doing a great job. <laughs> so, you know. <laughs> Wow. Thank you, man. That's so cool. I was not expecting that at all. Yeah, absolutely. Of course. Thanks. And I uh, like, thanks for just like, even, even, uh, just for taking the time tonight. Like it's been like an hour and a half and that's really cool. Oh man. It's been a pleasure. It's been a pleasure. It's been great to talk to you guys. Um, and, um, and yeah. And if, you know, now that we're all fellow practitioners of the mysterious world of podcasting, just, uh, excuse know. me, long form verbal essays. That's exactly right. <laughs> yeah, if you guys ever, if you guys ever need a cup of sugar, just come down and knock on our door. Nice. Cool. Nice. Sweet. Thank you. And if you ever Thanks, want man. that catching Vox's bump for your course, yeah. you just let <laughs> us know. <laughs> where, where is your, where is your course? So I'm going to, I'm going to put it in the old show notes. Oh no, that'd be great actually. So yeah. I'll, I'll just give you the rundown. So first of all, if anyone, I mean, we talked some about the record. If anybody's curious, wants to hear the music, um, not ironically, all of my music is at DerekWeb.com, which is D-E-R-E-K-W-E-B-B. People can find my music and all that stuff. The podcast, which is called The Airing of Grief, is at TheAiringOfGrief.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. And then the course, boy, I'm really promoting uh, right now, but, I, the, the, but the course is at uh, MiddleClassMusician.com. Um, and, uh, and you can go there and learn all about you know the whole breakdown of what what uh what we're teaching there and uh we're still expanding growing it and we've got a great community of artists about 150 students from all across the country who um you know and we hang out in slack that's part of what the course includes and we talk half the day about and listen to each other's music and give each other feedback and you know it's it's a great it's a cool community and it's been really beneficial for me and for a lot of our students and so yeah if any of that is of any benefit to anybody uh i'd love for them to find us you know cool awesome Thank you. Thank you so much yeah, thank you for your time. All this oh. stuff will be in the show notes. So if people want to find out more about our guest, Derek Webb, who we didn't introduce at all, but I'll edit that. <laughs> in <a post>. uh, <laughs> uh, we'll, be, we'll be sure to have all that stuff uh, ready. I would, lo- I, would lo- I would love for you to not do it. And then people get to this point in the show and be like, wait a second, this, has been, this is Derek Webb. Like, I hate that guy. <laughs> The oh, cable up like, for two guy? Are you serious? I've, I've, I've actually, I've actually really enjoyed this whole thing, and I was like trying to wait to figure out how to check this person out. But it's like, I, I, as it turns out, I really, I can't stand this guy. Uh, <laughs> Darren Webb's a dick. Wow. The, rev- the reveal here. In, uh, <laughs> we have pulled back coming. the curtain, exactly. and there's Derek Webb standing exactly, there exactly. with a guitar and a dream, but no PA because he's in your house, man. He's in your really? house. So no PA. That's. Just, I mean, that's so. Luke, cool. if you go to if you go to his website and you hit host the show, it literally says like three times in the description. Yeah. There is no PA. Yeah, yeah, it's no, just true. me. Yeah, I just yeah, and uh, it's yeah, it's absolutely magic. It's my favorite way to do it. Um, and and I mean, to be totally honest, mostly but probably because I've spent all these years like showing up at you know noon to do a sound check and do all this preparation for a show that starts at eight o'clock. And Ugh. for an eight for an eight o'clock house show, I show up at seven. 
Um, I show up at, I roll in at seven o'clock, doors open at seven thirty, and I'm playing at eight. And it's basically, I walk in and say, where am I going to stand? I throw my merch on the kitchen table and I head to the guest room. It's awesome. <laughs> that's, um, that is, that's really cool. Luke, is, that's what we need to do. That's what we seriously. need to do. Nice. Go and talk. Just show people's houses. Excuse me. <laughs> you know what actually would be really cool is to do because you know a lot of a lot of podcasts do will will travel around where they have concentrations of fans and they'll do live performance. They'll do. The That's what we're doing Friday. That's live. Friday. Well, and the thing is, you really could actually take it in. You could do a house show tour of podcast performances, like live podcasts ooh, from ooh, ooh, ooh. people's That's... houses, because the overhead is so low and the supply and demand of it actually makes it affordable for you to like it you can actually you know make it work um and it's just a whole other set of dynamics it's really fun and weird and everybody feels kind of out of sorts because everybody you know they're you're in some weird person's house and wait no it's really fun and weird i mean it, it creates a weird <laughs> dynamic it's actually pretty cool your green room will be in my doll room where <laughs> hundreds of porcelain dolls. i can't tell you how many green rooms have been like in like you know, there's like a there's like one of those diaper specialized diaper trash cans, you know, because it's like the, the baby's changing room or something. It's That's the best. That's awesome. yeah, the best. Anyway, it's great. It's been great to talk nice. to you guys. Yeah, cool. thanks for, again for having me. Thanks. Yes, for, yeah, awesome. sure, of course. Thanks again, Derek. Awesome. And, and and let me know. Let me know when it airs, and I'll make sure all my people uh, come and check it out. Woohoo! Cool. Good deal. Awesome. All right. All right. Great. Well, have a great night, you guys. Thanks. Yeah.